Today's scripture comes from Colossians 3, verses 9 through 15. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is in all, or Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all, uh, these put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. This is the word of God. We are in part 14 of biblical justice. And just to give you an idea of where we are, um, we're getting toward the end of the series. Uh, I'm projecting two more messages. And if you have been with us, you know this, but um, if you haven't been with us and you're joining this, uh, we're talking about some really heavy things. And um, some of the things I may talk about today and perhaps in some of the other messages, you may have perceived to be political. And um, one of the things I want to just say before I get into today's message is uh, I think churches where the preacher gets into the pulpit and wants to make political pronouncements and, and then try to you know, convince his church to be in some kind of partisan position, um, that's, that's really dumb. <laughs> it's not just wrong, it's seriously dumb. Because the church has much more important things to talk about than politics. The church has a word that we would say is theological. That is of God. Theos is of God. And in our, in our very secularized time, everybody thinks the important stuff that the powerful people do in our society, that's what's important. Right. And so, you know, of course, it often has to do with politics. But actually, uh, we believe that things that God says are far more important. And so, in some sense, I, I think it's always a good thing that churches, you know, we, we're not trying to get into the, um, the devices and um, the divisive issues of the day. Uh, but in some, today, if we're going to talk about the subject of justice, it's impossible not to say things that will be perceived by at least some people to be political. Because we've been talking about issues that our society is. Justice is this. Justice is that. This is justice. This is racial justice. This is systemic injustice, etc. And, and we believe the Bible has much to say, and that's what this series has been about. Now, um, we've been in, you know, the, in this portion of our series, finally, where we're talking about the Bible has, you know, if you've been following our series, there's three groups of people, the Bible, part, where God very explicitly says pay attention and focus on loving, protecting, having mercy and compassion and defense of these kinds of people. And they are the fatherless and they are the widow. And I, I taught you that widows aren't only people, women who have had their husband die. They're, they're a particular kind of... Um, very vulnerable women in society. And then the third group of people are what the Bible, at least our translation, tends to call them the sojourner 
And I, I, I'd like to say the focus is really, is we, we, the word we would use is probably the minority. And so this is the third message on that subject that obviously takes us into the very fraught and very divisive issue of racial reconciliation and what our society is very, very loudly and constantly talking about called racial justice. And um, so in, in, the, in the first message on the subject of minorities, I taught you um, about the subject of inclusion and exclusion. And I taught you that Leviticus chapter 19, and there, there's so many passages. I, you know, don't think that I'm kind of cheating by just choosing that one. Leviticus 19 just happens to says it in an extremely explicit way that, that, that will really be helpful to us. But it says, love, really love the minority as yourself. It's similar to love the na- your neighbor as yourself. And it's really a powerful vision of inclusion versus exclusion. All right, that was two weeks ago. And last week, I gave you a message that said uh, fully human. That was about fully human and not reductive prejudice. That what's going on today in our secular understandings of justice is that human beings immediately get reduced. We prejudge them, we reduce them down to like a simplistic feature about their person and we all know what we're talking about here. We're talking about race. And that's what's going on today. In today's secular understanding of justice, we judge somebody immediately on the basis of their physical feature, their race. We reduce them down, and we think we know how to do justice. And what I taught last week is that is very, very far from what the Bible teaches. Incredibly different from what the Bible teaches. And the Bible is saying, look at the deep, full complexity of the human being and seek their humanity. And so, we can, there's so much to say on this subject, and, um, but, you know, I can't say everything. And I wanted to give you one more message today, and the last two, I'm going to shift gears, and I want to say something more about and give a critique of where our culture is on justice. And uh, so the last two messages are going to be kind of, a, they're more kind of like sum, sum, summative messages about where our culture is on justice um, but I wanted to give you one more message about this very fraught issue of minorities and ra- racial, racial justice. And I've called today's message fully human for one body. Fully human for one body and not victimhood. And uh, I want to make a very particular um, application of what it means for us to seek the full humanity of the minority. And this is an incredibly common thing that's going on today. We see somebody of a particular skin color and we immediately put them in the category of victim. And then we look at another set of people and they have a different skin color and we immediately see them as, uh, in, in the historical sense, that they are villains, victims and villains. And somehow in this really simplistic grid, victims and villains, our culture thinks they know how to do justice and um, I want to show you from the Bible, that is so not right. Okay, and, okay. so that's a mouthful. I have to give you a little bit of a you know, recap. Okay, let's get into it. Part one. Embracing the humanity of the other to be in one communal body together. I know it's a lot. We want to embrace the full humanity of the other, of the person that you think is different than you. So, you know, philosophers have called them the other, 
sphere white, the person who's black, you might consider them the other, right? If you're Asian and you see someone who's Hispanic, you might see them as the other, right? That's kind of how our, our culture tends to think. The Bible has stuff to say about this, okay? So embracing the humanity of the other to be in one body. It's really important to see that the Bible teaches us as being, the goal is to be one body together, okay? Part two, see the other's full human agency, not victimhood, okay? See the other's full potentiality, the full human agency of the other person, of the other type of people that you're, you don't really know very well. Don't see them as mere victims. And then part three, I'll unpack the gospel this way. How the gospel brings racial reconciliation unto oneness. This is really something, it is really um, the dream of American culture. And that dream is actually coming from the Bible, actually. And it's funny, because our culture has gotten so post-Christian and secular, they just assume that America, you know, we want this. You know, we, there's this phrase, and in, in, it's like, it's on, your, it's on our money, e pluribus, out of the many, out of the diverse many, the plural, unum, which is one. Actually, that's taught in the Bible. And the, and the pathway to that is from the gospel. I want to show that to you. It's really the incredible dream of even our unbelieving American neighbors. They may be atheists. They may actually even hate Christianity. They may even hate the Bible. That's actually the dream of our neighbors. They don't know that their dream is from the Bible and it can come through the gospel. Okay? All right. Part one. Um, Let's look at this passage, all right? Let's get this passage. Uh, Colossians chapter 3, verse 9. And um, there's actually, you know, some other more famous passages in the Bible that's really, really relevant on racial reconciliation. But I think this is just a particularly good, you know, accessible place. And Colossians 3, you know, in, in the book of Colossians, Paul writes this letter to the church in Colossae, and um, he has this incredible explication of the gospel, and then he's applying the gospel and what it should look like. And um, and it looks like this, okay? Verse nine. So just just it's kind of we're jumping in the middle, but um, I want you to do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. Okay, so. I want to apply it this way. Um, usually, whenever people read this, we, all meet, we immediately jump into individualistic way of thinking. That's probably the normal, simple way of looking. You know, don't lie to your, your friend. Don't lie to your, 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 your wife. Okay? But this is about communal vision. Um, we shouldn't go around using ideological lies to shape our society. This is one of the first things I just want to say. There are lies about you know, our culture's vision of what, what it means to be human. It's incredibly reductive. You can like reduce, them, or reduce a person down to white or reduce a person down to black. Um, and um, I just really want to just say right away, these are lies. And you don't have to be a Christian to know that. You really don't have to be a Christian to know that. And um, so first and foremost, the, the, this, yet this is being preached all the time. And I know that we don't think of it as preaching. 
But if you go to your company and they give you diversity training, I want you to think of the person sitting up there in front as a preacher. Because that's what they're doing. They're giving you a moral worldview about what humanity is, about what race is, and what you should be like. In other words, what the moral commandments are should be like. And they're giving you some vision of justice. And there is a kind, there, there's an implicit theology there. And of course, that theology has no God in it and no word from God. Okay, So just start there. Verse 10. Um, do, not put, do not lie to one and see that you have put off the old self in this practice and have put on the new self. And this is how the gospel thinks. That the world is filled with an old self, filled with sins, and we easily, we want to believe in lies. We want to see somebody else of a different skin color or of a different ethnicity, and we want to put them into a different category. And they are different than us. I mean, obviously they're different than us. They may speak a different language. They may have a different religion. They eat different foods. They have different customs and practices, okay? However, at the most important places, they're actually not different than us. And yet, one of the things we all share is that we're all sinful and we're prone to want to believe in lies and build our community with wrong goals in ways that are going to break us. And just we have to put on a new self, okay? Let's go back to verse 10. This new self which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. I hope this isn't boring to you, but because I know I'm saying some kind of like theological, it sounds like I'm just kind of blah, blah. But if, you're in a, in, if you grew up in the church, you've heard this. Being renewed in the image of its creator. You know what that's talking about? What it means to be most human. You know what makes you most human? Not that if you're white. Not if you're black. Not if you're rich. Not if you're well-educated. Not if you're strong. Not if you're good-looking. Not if you're American. Not if you're not American. That isn't what makes you most human. What makes you most human is that you're being renewed after the image of your creator, after God. And do you know who else shares that? Well, people who are black share that. People who are white share that. You know that black people don't have any less of the image of God than people who are white and vice versa? And so at the most basic level, at the most fundamental level, this is living inside truth. And we need to be renewed in this image of the creator. Okay? And now... Now let's go to verse 11. This is the verse I really, really want you to, to take away. Here, that is in the gospel, in the community built in the promises of the gospel to offer us true justice in the world. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Let me read this verse a little bit differently. Here there is not white and black, those who are religious and those who are secular, in that sense, those outside. Barbarian, ah, you know, we hear this word. You know what, back then, you know what a barbarian is? A barbarian is a person who doesn't speak Greek. Um, if you want to participate in the culture the most advanced culture of the time, you have to speak Greek. And so if you don't speak Greek, you don't understand the, the, the most advanced discourse. You couldn't have you know, learned in, in the most important schools. And of course, since you don't speak 
the most important language of the most dominant time of the, you can't get the better jobs and so forth. So barbarians are kind of like they're they are immediately barbarians. It's a, it's actually a very ethnic term. It's a it's a it's a, immediately a term of exclusion, and then it goes on to say Scythians. So who are Scythians? There are certain areas in the Greco-Roman Empire near like the Black Sea and the Caspian Sea, and there were certain ethnic folks called Scythians. But they, they weren't just one eth ethnicity. They were kind of a grouping of them. And you know what? The reason why they're singled out, it's actually the only place in the Bible where they're named. Because in the times, their educated proper people of the Greco-Roman Empire, you know how they considered Scythians? They considered Scythians the bottom of the barbarians. It's like there are barbarians and then there are Scythians. And you know what this is saying here? Whoever you think is the worst, worst kind of ethnic group, they could be redeemed. That's what it's saying. They can be in God's family. They can be in the church. They can be, we can be all one together. Whether they're slave or free, whether they are upper class and educated or they're lower class and actually pushed around. How about that? Modern way was saying whether they're really educated and privileged or they're working class or maybe even homeless. Christ fills us all. Look at this renewal. Let me just re keep reading. Verse 12. This is what it should look like. And you know, if I read this, I don't think... Um, you know, even non-Christians should understand this is kind of how we should treat each other. But let me tell you, if you are a one who believes in Jesus, this isn't just like, okay, this is kind of nice that we should try to do this. This is a, a straight up the way it looks like in the gospel. This is what God expects. So verse 12, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, put on a compassionate heart. You know what that's saying? So it's saying that you go out into the world and you don't have a compassionate heart. Isn't that just, that's kind of normal, right? What we have to do is we have to put it on. You put it on. So you're not feeling it. I don't have any compassion for these, whatever, you know, like you see a different ethnicity and they're poor or they're, you're, you're uncomfortable around them. They're today's version of what you would consider a barbarian. Or you, you, you think they're like, oh gosh, that's really the kind of people I don't want to be around. And for you, then, they would be today's Scythian. And um, don't kid yourself if you don't think you have that. Every culture has kind of like, we have a, a kind of totem pole of racial ethnicities and ethnic groups. Um, in the 1980s, you know, uh, Time Magazine was kind of like, you know, America's great, um, you know, news magazine. You know, today, you're like, well, you've got to read the New York Times if you want to know what, like, all the smart people think. But back then, you could have read Time Magazine. And Time Magazine had this cover story of what they called the, the model minority. The model minority. You know who that was? The Asians. And why did they call them the model minority? Because the Asians... They study harder than the white folks. They do better in school than the white folks. They're like competing and, and they don't cause problems. And it was just long, it wasn't long after that, that you know what? A lot of black folks read that, those articles and you know what they said? They said, so they're the model minority 
And I guess we know we're the minority that you're not supposed to be like, right? So when a certain set of minorities were called the model minority, there's a certain set of people in our society, you know what they realize? Oh, we're the Scythians, huh? See? Every culture has them. Um, I've, uh, I remember um, in the early 90s, and, um, you know, I had come home from college. So this isn't the most savory story, but I was talking to my mom, and she was asking me about my friends. And, you know, my college, it, it, it was racially, ethnically diverse. And I had, like, <laughs> so... You know, this isn't any kind of boast or anything like this, but my friend group was like this. We had a guy who was half Chinese and half white, so he's literally multi-ethnic inside himself. <laughs> okay. Uh, a couple of our fr- in our friends group were white, and a couple were Mexican. One girl was half Mexican and half white, and uh, one girl was Vietnamese. Right? And um, so this isn't the proudest moment in my family. My mom, my mom, who's a really godly person, she, she kind of turned up her nose when I mentioned that this friend of mine is Vietnamese. And then she kind of said some stuff that I did not like, right? And I immediately got this. I realized that in her generation of Korean thinking, this is Asians, okay? That, like, she kind of, like, and I already kind of knew this, but she kind of made it a little too obvious, okay, that, that Vietnamese were lower. Vietnamese were lower on the scale. Like, she would probably slot Chinese folks as among the more advanced Asians, and then Vietnamese folks were more in the barbarian category. And, um, yeah, I mean, if, if I was a little bit more rude, I would have basically kind of stuck it to my mom. Like, yeah, mom, you're good godly lady, believes in Jesus. You shouldn't say that stuff. And honestly, you shouldn't even think it. Because right here, Christ is all and in all. See? Okay. Every culture has it. And so... I started in this series is that we're all bad at this. We're all bad at this. And it's not a secret. I, I, it, I, I find it incredibly amazing that in our culture today that they put the most simplistic, unrealistic grid out there and then think that they can call this justice. Whereas if you're honest and you go look into the, the complexity of human beings... So I, I just kind of threw my mom under the bus, okay? My mom in the early 1990s. And if I were to say that, she said that, she'd go, I, I said that? And she would probably get really embarrassed today. So, you know, this is what we're like. So, put on compassionate hearts. Put on kindness. Put it on. Humility, meekness, patience. And I want to really particularly emphasize that one. Put on a lot of patience. Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord is forgiving you, 
so you also must forgive. Verse 14, and put on love. Now here's a way I want to put it this way. In an earlier message, I said, what is justice? Justice is a subset of the love of God. In Leviticus 19, it says, love the minority as yourself. That's justice. So, above all, put on justice. Put on justice. Put on love. Put on justice. Who, who are you supposed to love here? The Scythian. The person you don't want marrying your daughter, okay? The person that you think, well, that's exactly why we moved out of that neighborhood because I don't want them to be my neighbors. The completely normal thing that we do all the time. We're talking about, above all, put on love for the Scythian. Who's the Scythian for you? which binds all things together in perfect harmony and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Let the shalom of Christ rule in your hearts. Let the flourishing of Christ rule in your hearts. Not that fear. Not the reductive prejudice. Not the way you look down upon that group of people. Not the way you feel uncomfortable around that group of people. Don't let that rule in your heart. But put on patience. See them in the full image of the Creator. Seek that image. To which you were called in one body and be thankful. Okay? So, let's stop. You're called into one body. Um, we all know this is the church. And let me just, just let's lay this out here. When it says the body, here's what it means. A body has an arm, has a head, has a hair, you know, has legs. So, in the Bible, this is what it looks like. The Scythian's over here. Let's say the Scythian is like the left hand. Let's say you're the right hand. So let's say you're a Chinese-American. And the Scythian's over here. You know what? You're over here saying you're in one body. You can't look at these people and say, you don't belong over here. You're in one body. And actually, you want them to be part of one body. And if we're doing reductive prejudice, excluding, you're breaking the body. And if we're not seeking the full humanity of the other, see, when you, when you become one in one deep communal body, you want to deeply accept them and know them in their deepest place. So what we're always doing in America is like we have like, this is our crew over here. You're not part of our crew. You stay out there. Anyone who's not part of our crew, our tribe, you know, what we could do is we, we use reductive prejudice on them. And then we have like some kind of idea about them and it's fine to just put them into this category and it's fine that we can continuously not seek their full humanity. But as soon as they're going to be in your community, they're going to be one body with you and me. So then here's what happens. So let, let, let's talk about the church. So if you're not a believer, you, you might appreciate that I'm going to say this. You know why the church is often very segregated according to ethnicity and race and even class? So let's say you're an upper class Asian 
and you want your daughter to marry another upper-class Asian, or at least another upper-class person who's well-to-do, went to the good schools like you and your kids. But then someone comes into the church, and they're not upper-class Asian. (laughs) There's some other ethnicity. And then what if your daughter thinks, you know, hey, they're a brother in Christ. They love Jesus. They're a full-on member of our church. When we come up to the Lord's Supper, you know, we all take it together. And that boy asked me out for coffee. And then the parents go, wait a second. I don't want this kid dating my daughter. That's in the church. And of course, you know, that's not just in the church. That's just in our society. But I want you to feel the deep weight of this in the Bible. Um, The deep weight of this in the Bible. If your daughter wants to date a Scythian, (laughs) you know what Jesus wants? You should be open to it. You know why? Christ is all. Christ is all. Mm -hmm. That's the gospel. So we want to see the full humanity. Okay. We need to go to part two. Let's go to part two. I want to give you a very, very pointed um, example of this. I want to give you two examples of this, actually. And let's, I, for the sake of time, i got to hurry here, okay? Our culture, one way that we're regularly reducing human beings is looking at one as victim and one as villain. These are the victims. These are the villain. We always have to listen to them. They're always right. If you tell them that somehow that they, they're doing something wrong inside their culture and this isn't good, that that is somehow, that's bad. <laughs> that's blaming the victim. That's the way we call it. I've already broken all these rules all the time. I'm breaking the rules of our say. You know, when I tell you something like 70% of black America is fatherless, that's a much more serious problem. And not dealing with their fatherlessness and not understanding that that's one of the big pains that they have. And actually, a lot of them, they don't even know that that's their biggest pain. That's not justice. (laughs) And that is not really loving them. But because they're in the victim category, you can't say anything bad. (laughs) And And if you say anything like this at work or in your universities, you get canceled. Because you're unjust. That's the way it, it's said today. And that is wrong. It's seriously wrong. And then, on, and then we flip it around. There's got the victims on this side, and then we got the villains on this side. So the black folks are the victims, and the white folks are the villains. And please don't, don't think like this. Don't do this. Do, I beg you, do not do this. And our society desperately needs people to confidently, humbly, gently push back. And we're not going to be like this. I don't believe in that. I'm sorry, we're not going to, I don't believe in that. And we will not operate in that. And we have to be willing to even pay the price. There are powerful people in our society who think that you should be fired from your job. So your livelihood is threatened, that you should get canceled online, and... We can't be like this. 
It's just a really oppressive way of living, and it's incredibly unjust. So let me just give you two examples. <laughs> and it's not really all that hard, honestly, but just two pointed examples. Um, you know, uh, uh, a lot of you don't, well, maybe you know this. <laughs> so if, you've been, if you've been pastored by me, you might know this by now. I, I really, really love baseball, okay? And uh, I was reading an article this week, and I said, oh, I'll, I'll use this as an example. And um, one of the great sports writers is a guy named Joe Posnanski, and he wrote an essay about one of the great, great ball players. He died not too long ago, and his name is Henry Aaron. Any of you guys ever heard of this guy? If you're not a baseball fan, maybe you haven't, but then you've lived under a rock, okay? Um, because uh, Henry's, you know, his, his, his uh, nickname is Hank. And for those of you who don't know what he's famous for, for, for a long time, he held the record for most home runs. But if you don't know this, the guy who used to hold the record for most home runs is a legendary baseball player by the name of Babe Ruth. And Babe Ruth, for decades, had the most home runs. He was just a large, he was an absolutely legendary. He was almost like, he was like a demigod in America, right? He's literally a big dude, and he had a huge personality, absolutely beloved in America. And he hit 714 home runs in his career. It's an, it's an astronomically un, unbelievable number. To this day, only three human beings have hit, hit more than 700 home runs. But up to that point, there was Babe Ruth and nobody else. 714 home runs and nobody else was even close. And then this guy named Henry Aaron came. Henry Aaron is super, he's a quiet, God-fearing man. I did not know this. I looked it up. He's actually a devout Catholic. I didn't know that. Right? Um, and he's Catholic at a time when most African Americans, they weren't Catholics. It's pretty interesting. So even inside of his own ethnic culture, he's going against the grain, you know, theologically, religiously. Okay? But just a really quiet, unassuming man and he didn't generally have a year where he'd put up like 60 home runs. You know what he'd just do? 40 home runs, 35, 45, just year after year after year. And then America looked up, and next thing you know, hammering Hank Aaron was closing in on Babe Ruth. And I want to share something with you. Um, here's the way he put it. He says, it was terrible. It was the worst time of my life. Here he is about to achieve one of the very greatest feats in his sport. And at the time, in America, baseball was the number one sport. Everybody followed it. He says, it was the worst time of his life. I couldn't leave the ballpark without an escort. I had to eat my dinners in my hotel room. My kids had to be escorted to school. Here's why. So the newspapers report, they do all these, uh, they would do these, uh, uh, they would do these uh, uh, surveys. And they'd ask Americans, do you want Hank to break the record? Majority of Americans wanted him to break the record. <laughs> there was one poll that said that 87% of America wanted Hank Aaron to beat Babe Ruth's record. You know when this was? It was like 1973, 
He broke the record in 1974. And back then in 1973, do you know how racist America was? That's an incredibly racist time. Um, I came to the United States in 1976, and let me tell you, it was way more racist then in the late 70s and the early 80s than it is today. I mean, people just regularly just say gross, rank junk against other people. And people would regularly say racist jokes. It was common. So in 1973, incredibly racist, and yet in one poll, 87% of America, and guess who's the vast majority of America, we're talking white folks in America, wanted Hank to break the record. But here's the way he put it. Well, the minority still included tens of millions of people, and they made his life hell. Death threats, unconscionable attacks, shameful treatment. And so... Hank Aaron would get these letters with saying absolutely vile garbage. And he felt that he had to read them because I, I got to know what's out there. Here's what he said. Um, he felt like he had to read them. Why, I asked. I had to know what I was up against. Did the letters drive you? No, he said. They hurt me. They made me sad. He almost quit. He actually thought about quitting. He almost thought, thought about stopping. I mean, just think about that. Your, they, they, they didn't make massive money back then. You know, he, it's not like he'd be giving up millions of dollars. And his children's lives are under threat by vile people. And um, there's this famous sequence when he finally breaks the record and he's rounding the basis. This guy jumped out of the stand. People were going crazy. They were so excited. This white young guy came out of the stand and he patted Hank Aaron on the back. And it's actually a beautiful moment that a young man who's white just is so like, like in awe of what Hank just did. And yet, for Hank, he was terrified. And someone would jump out of the stands and maybe try to kill him because that's the stuff that he's reading. And then, um, and he said that he never really, he goes, this is the way Joe, he, he would never, he would also tell you that he never did fully recover from the pain of seeing America at its worst. 87% of America wanted him to succeed. 13% of Americans were racist. And some smaller percentage were vile. <laughs> and he took on that. Um, if you ask me, Hank Aaron is a hero. And he's not a hero because he hit 755 home runs. He's a hero because he took this and he did not return hatred for hatred. <laughs> That's what makes him a hero. He is like a walking embodiment of what Colossians 3 is saying. Bear with one another and forgive. Seek and put on kindness. And seek that 
These Americans, we are of one together. So this guy's not a victim. He was being victimized, but there's a deeper, more powerful, profound humanity in him and was triumphing over it. See? And all the Scythians around us, you have to see this in them. You have to seek this in them. This is the hope of the gospel. Now, let me give you one more example. I've got to get toward the end. Now, of course, I'm running out of time as usual, okay? There's a woman that I read about this week. Um, there's, a, there's a writer that I follow every now and then. Her name is Barry Weiss. <laughs> it's just the way how, how strange. Barry Weiss is a brilliant writer. She used to work for the New York Times. She famously resigned because she was really, she thought this kind of fake justice going on in the New York Times was so wrong. And she writes articles kind of, you know, revealing some of the really bad stuff that's going on. And she, in, in her, she wrote an essay this week about a woman named Jody Shaw. And Jody Shaw, she's about my age. She's in her late 40s. She graduated from one of our top liberal arts colleges, Smith College. It's an all-women school. Very, very liberal, right? And it's in, it's in New England. It's in western Massachusetts. And you got to be pretty darn smart to get into that school. And she is an alum of that school. She graduated from this school way back. That's how I know she's around my age because she graduated about when I graduated, right? And she had a hard time. She's white. She had a hard time. She's divorced. She has two children. And then later on, she got a job working for her old college. And she doesn't have a prestigious job. She doesn't make lots of money. She, she actually she, she has this video that's linked inside of Barry Weiss's essay. And you can watch this video on YouTube. I'll share it with you later. And she basically says, don't stop, stop treating me like you can just see one feature about me and think you know everything about me. It was crazy. When I was listening to her on the video, I was like saying, gosh, she could have just like said my sermon last Sunday. <laughs> Reductive prejudice. And she was saying, Basically, it's very clear she loves her school, but she had quit her job. And she points out, there's a portion there where she points out, I make $45,000 a year. That's, le that's less than what it costs for one year to go to Smith College because it's, it's a really expensive elite school. And this very reductive kind of racial justice is being imposed, and they had this crazy incident where a black student accused somebody on staff, these people who make things like $45,000, of being racist. And then when they did an investigation, there was no evidence of any of racism. And yet the whole school is just ramping this up and putting unbelievable pressure on essentially poor working class people. And that area is mostly white, so all the working class people are white. And even though she graduated from an elite school, She's essentially like a working class woman. She's what we would call something like a widow. Is she a villain? A racist villain? And what she is, she's standing up and saying, please stop doing this. This isn't right. This isn't right. I have no idea what Jody Shaw believes. Okay, in terms of her religion, she actually says in the video, she goes, I'm, she goes, I'm a lifelong liberal. That's the way she puts it. 
She goes, that shouldn't matter, but I just want to let you know that. And I thought it was so courageous of this lady. So here we are. They're white, are they villains? They're black, are they victims? Just please don't do that. Throw that all away. And seek their deep humanity and what they can be. And invite them to have oneness into one body in Christ. Okay, let's close. Um, I want to close with uh, these, ver- these verses toward the latter portion of Colossians. So this is uh, verse 16. Let me, let's go back. Verse 15. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which you were called into one body and be thankful. Oh, be thankful when the Scythian walks into our church. We should really be thankful for all these different ethnicities that you're uncomfortable with in our city. We should be thankful. And really, really thankful if they come into our church. We welcome you. If you're watching on our video today, and, you know, you could probably see, you know, I'm like obviously of Asian-American descent, and you're, you know, not Asian. I'm, I'm Korean-American. If you're not Korean, I'll be very thankful if you come into our church. Verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. You know what the word of Christ is? It's the gospel. (laughs) Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Don't let it dwell in you thinly. Don't let it dwell in you so it just sits inside your head. Don't let it dwell in you so it's this thing that you do for two hours on a Sunday. Don't let it dwell in you so it's like like religiously compartmentalized. Don't let the gospel dwell in you so you're only just always thinking about like, uh, you know, like, I'm, I'm, you know, like I've, I've got some money issues and I'm kind of like, I've got some bad things in my heart and like Jesus will forgive me. That's like thinly. That the gospel gives us real justice. The gospel fully transforms how we can think about one body, one community. And how we can look at the person that maybe you don't even like because to you they're, they're like not just even a barbarian, they're the bottom of the barbarians. And you can look at them. Please don't look down on them. Don't look down on them. They may look immediately poor. They may maybe not as much education or whatever it is in you because you think of them as below you. Let the gospel dwell in you richly. Don't see them as victims. See them as redeemed or potentially redeemed. See them as somebody that could be a hero better than you, more glorious than you. Let the word of Christ, let the gospel dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. So here's what we mean. I'm teaching you, but you know what? This word, this, this is a command. This is not the pastor teach you. Teach each other. When you go to a small group, teach each other. Admonish each other. You know what admonish means? That means this. Uh, I don't think you should be like that, sister. It's correcting, rebuking, gently loving, teaching and admonishing each other so that we would 
let the gospel richly dwell in us and we treat and walk together. Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. There we go. Be thankful. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. So Jesus came. He who was most profoundly human. He who came and did not look down upon us, though we were wretched, though we were racist, though we were snobs, though we exclude, though we do injustice all the time, though we have earned the rightful exclusion from Him. Instead, He came to be excluded on our behalf so that all of our injustice and all of our racism and all of the ways that we reductively like, don't treat people the right way and we constantly exclude them from being in one body, that we always treat our one body as like, well, just people like that I like. People of my ethnicity and my class and my kind of people. The way we do this. Jesus came in and said, you, even though you're really wretched, I will be fully human for your sake so I can give you real justice by grace. This is what Jesus did for us to form a new kind of body and a new kind of people, a new kind of family. So brothers and sisters, in Christ, let's be thankful and walk this way for our neighbors and our churches and our communities and our workplaces and offer this to our city. Let's pray. Lord, um, we're weak and um, we're so much more prone to being influenced by whatever is the wave of quote-unquote wisdom today, of the educated today, what are the discourses today. But help us, Lord, to know not what the world says, let the word of Christ, may the gospel, may our king, may our king who lowered himself to be a lamb, who was excluded so he could take away exclusion, to include us, to love us, to heal us, to wash us, so that he can offer us beautiful new kind of community. And we know, Lord, this is not easy. But we pray, Lord, that we would persist and be courageous to walk into that which isn't easy because it is from you. You took on a far greater cost to love us this way and embrace us this way and give us real justice. We pray, Lord, that we would take on the cost of today, remembering that your pleasure and your blessing and your promises are waiting. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.